Great to see you this morning, Labor Day weekend. I'd like to start off with a word of prayer, if, if, we'd, if you'd join me. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for life. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for our country. Father, we pray for those in uh, Afghanistan, uh, the Americans, Lord, that be able to get, we would be able to get those people out that want to come back. And Father, uh, just this morning I was hearing about Christians who were killed there. Father, we pray that you would protect them, give them boldness, Lord, to stand for their faith. Lord, we also pray for the uh, villagers in Myanmar, many of whom are believers who have been uh, bombed out of their villages and people that even just a couple of days ago, we at Grace Community were able to help. And Lord, we thank you that we we're able to do that. And Lord, I thank you for the generosity of the people here. Lord, help us to continue to partner uh, with persecuted Christians around the world. And Father, we, uh, we thank you that there's a pushback in our country uh, regarding this abortion stuff. And Lord, uh, we thank you that our Supreme Court upheld uh, the Texas law that um, limits abortion. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to continue to defend the weakest and most vulnerable among us, no, no matter who that is, no matter what group that is, Lord, that we would defend them, stand up for them, give them voice, protect them, because, Lord, that's what you call your people to do. Lord, help us to be effective in that. Lord, again, help us to see your truth and your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been in a series the last few weeks called Redacted, and we're talking about, we call it Redacted because truth has been censored. We're talking about the things that you can't say anymore. And so a couple weeks ago, we started with the topic of gender, which is kind of a hot-button topic in our country today. And uh, then last week, we covered sexuality, again, another uh, topic that we deal with today. And to, today, what I'd like to do is take a moment uh, to, to talk about another issue that's, in a way, found, I, I say take a moment, but actually it's probably going to be more than a moment. It's probably going to be some moment. So, but I want to talk about truth, and that's why I want to talk about truth, because I say things like moment. But yeah, we want to talk about this foundational topic, truth. And uh, that's what I want to, and it, although that sounds kind of obvious to us, it's not obvious in our culture. So we here at Grace, we, we have a, a purpose statement. We say that we exist to help people discover truth, then decide on Jesus, and then if, they do, if they've done that, they will demonstrate change and deploy for others. And so that all starts with truth, discovering truth. And the question is, is there absolute truth? truth, because I don't know if you've noticed this, but now there's a debate about truth, whether truth exists, whether truth is absolute, is it universal, is it objective, does objective truth even exist anymore? And people would say there's no true reality, there's only perceptions and opinions based on your culture. 
Others argue that there, there has to be objective truth. And then people who deny absolute truth believe that everything's relative to something else. And, and because of that, it's all relative. It's all kind of mission. It all depends on where you're from and who you are, that it's all just uh, relative. And, uh, and that's not right. Denying truth, though, as much as it just surprises me and astounds me that some of the conversations we're having in our country today is just like, you got to be kidding me. But it's also nothing new. And that we have a biblical record of 2,000 years ago when truth was put on trial and judged by people devoted to lies. And, and of course, I'm talking about Jesus just before his crucifixion. The night he was arrested, and I've actually covered this not too many months ago. It was actually last year, but, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but just, you know, the night that Jesus was arrested, um, he went through six trials, most just that one night. Three of those trials were religious. Three were uh, with the authorities, and uh, and then that process kind of ended with a very interesting conversation that he had with Pilate. And uh, it's a very interesting exchange. And just to give you a little background, to put ourselves in Pilate's shoes a little bit, we know not from the Bible, but historically, Pilate was sort of on thin ice. We know a, a man named Janus is the one who recommended Pilate to Caesar to do what he's doing in Judea. And then that man who recommended Pilate was actually killed by Caesar two years prior to this incident. And so probably Pilate's feeling the heat uh, because his friend fell out of favor with Caesar and was killed. And so Pilate's like, whoa, you know, I could be next. And so now he's trying to keep the peace, but there's a big turmoil and it's all about Jesus. And then these trials happen. They bring him to Pilate. And Pilate knows. I mean, he's a, he's a political animal. He knows all these charges are trumped up. He knows they're not true. He knows they don't really hold anything, but he has to deal with it. And so we have this exchange in John 18, 37. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so, you are a king? He's asking the question. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this reason, I've been born, and for this reason, I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what's truth? What's truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. You see, Pilate is talking to truth incarnate and then he asks this question when Jesus mentions truth. He just kind of says something a lot of people today would say. He says, what is truth? He's asking Jesus, what is truth? But it's a rhetorical question for Pilate. He doesn't stick around for the answer. He just goes on about his business. He's just assuming there is no truth. And that makes a lot of sense if you think about what he's about to do. Because that question, what is truth? Super relevant today. Super relevant. I mean, we, we see the news. 
And then we, it used to not be this way. We see the news and then we have to ask ourselves, is that true? Or what agenda is being promoted here? What slant? What are they not saying? It's we have to wade through it. Somebody sends you a link that makes some, you know, some pretty big claims or whatever. You know, then you have to figure, is this true? And you should be wondering, is this true? You know, we're wondering, is this true? We have fact checkers. You know, hey, it, that, that's wrong. What they said is wrong. But then we find out later, often, not every time, but a lot of times, those fact checkers were wrong. Who's the fact checkers? For the fact checkers. Because nobody's really centering on truth. It's just an agenda-driven conversation. Now, incredibly, in our country, we've gone so far that there's pressure to use terms like birthing people. Have you heard this? You know, have you heard this term? Because it's all over the current federal administration. You know, it's birthing people. Why? Because we don't want to imply that males can't have babies. Males can't have babies. But we're saying birthing people to obscure that truth. It's just kind of, kind of crazy. In his book, The Closing of the American Mind, Professor Alan Bloom observes, and I'm quoting here, that so he's talking about professors. He's a professor. He's talking to other professors. Here's what he says, quote, there's one thing a professor can, absolutely, can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. And then he continues. The students, of course, can't defend their position. It's something with which they've been indoctrinated. Okay, here's a professor saying, before college students get to college, they've already been indoctrinated that truth is relative, meaning there is no absolute truth, there is no universal truth, there is no objective truth, it's all relative. They've already have that, and then they build on it from there. Here's the problem. As people continue to assert there is no truth, they've become close-minded to the possibility of truth's existence. E even from their minds, if in fact it did exist, they're closed to that possibility, and it does exist, and that's tragic. Now we have words like post-truth that describe the disappearance of a shared of, of shared objective standards for truth. We don't have that anymore. It was actually, and this has been around about five years, five years ago, 2016, this was Oxford Dictionary's word of the year, phrase of the year, post-truth or post-truth politics. Post-truth politics describes a political culture in which debate is framed by appeals to emotion, and it's disconnected from facts. I mean, we've been seeing this now for a long time. Somebody throws something out there, usually it's on the news or whatever, but then rather than doing a factual what's happening, it's, oh, this happened to this person, and here's their experience, you know, and, and they have an emotional experience, and that proves it, but that doesn't really prove anything. 
It proves that they're emotional. You know, it proves that they didn't like it or whatever the case may be. And talking points are repeatedly asserted, but factual rebuttals are ignored. There's no argument among the facts. It's just talking points, slam, slam, and then other talking points, and then other talking points, and other talking points. But we've lost truth when we give up on truth. And this is what's happening. This is the temptation. When we, especially us as believers, when we give up on truth, we give power to media corporations and woke politicians to censor truth and shape our culture. If we give up on truth, then it's just going to be censored, and it's just whatever the talking points are will be what our culture adopts. We've got to stand for truth. And so we're, there's the reality of absolute truth, universal truth, objective truth. Here's the definition of truth. It, truth is the conformity to fact or actuality. Truth corresponds to reality. Truth is universal. It's true for all people in all places at all times, if it's really true, if it's really truth. Different cultures, times, or nationalities do not change truth, because that's what our world's telling us all the time. Truth is absolute, not relative. We can't function with ab without absolute truth. You know, to build a building, you have to measure. Well, measurements are based on what? Absolute truth. That three inches is three inches. You know, I mean, that's all based on truth, absolute truth, universal truth, objective truth. And that's the last thing. Truth is objective. It's by this I mean Truth is external to us. Truth is external to us. We discover truth that's already true. We discover truth outside of us that already exists. That's what truth is. It's not something that we internally make up or create. It's not our truth. There is no our truth, your truth. My truth, your truth. There's one objective truth. It's outside of all of us, and we can discover it or not. Does that make sense? That's obvious. I know. Everybody's going, I think, I think we got this, Kevin. Yeah, I know. But that, oddly, today it has to be said. If I say my truth is that the traffic light was green when it was actually red, there's consequences, right? Objective truth. We can't function without it, but yet people are denying that it exists. Why? Because people don't like truth. Some truth. Well, why is that? Because of the offensive nature of truth. Here's the deal. Truth offends. There's, for all of us, there's going to be some truth 
that will offend us, or some truth maybe we don't want to hear it. We all, there's truth. Truth offends. You know, you know how I'm always saying? The Bible offends somewhere in the Bible, offends everybody. The Bible offends all cultures. Just at different places in the Bible does it offend them. Why? How can that be? How can there not be a culture that the Bible doesn't offend? Because the Bible didn't come from culture. The Bible came from outside of us, from beyond us. That's what we're saying. When truth is rejected, it's usually because truth offends. And so you have things like this. People say, well, you can't know truth, especially in matters of faith and religion. If you think you know truth in matters of faith or matters of religion, then you're narrow-minded. Well, all truth is narrow. I mean, that's what truth is. It's narrow. The, the math teacher teaching math to second graders, you know, two plus two is four. Now, there's an infinite number of wrong answers, right? The wrong answers, that's very broad. The right answer, the truth, that's extremely narrow and exclusive. It's just the number four. People are offended saying, well, it's arrogant to claim that someone's right or wrong. You can't say that people are right or wrong. Of course, if you believe in truth, they're quick to tell you you're wrong. You can't do that. Well, well, that's a, a statement that you're making. You're calling me wrong for believing there's a right and wrong. Back to the math. Is it arrogant for a math teacher to say? The answer's only four. It's the only answer. Is that arrogant? No, that's just truth. Some say all matters, you know, all, all that really matters, it's not the truth of the matter, the facts of the matter, it's the sincerity of the belief. It's if you're really, really sincere. That's completely wrong. Truth, real truth, is immune from sincerity, and it's immune from emotion. It's just the fact. We bring in all this stuff to make truth relative. Doesn't matter how sincerely you believe a falsehood, it's still false. So, how do we get here? What happened? How do we get to this point where it's not just some people, you know, asking them, hey, what's truth? It's now the, a cultural movement. Well, first of all, we have to realize this is the logical consequence of people accepting naturalistic evolution, which can't be scientifically proven, which is everything that we see came from naturalistic evolution. What's that mean? Everything we see, us, all life, all matter, everything that we see around us, the universe, it all came from what? Some sort of a cosmic, you know, you can ask, well, where'd that come from? But some explosion. Explosion, order never comes from explosion. We can prove that. Order never comes from chaos. Order can never come from an explosion. Never happens, ever. 
We can do experiment after experiment after experiment. It never happens, but that's naturalistic evolution. Why would they believe that? Because it's the best naturalistic explanation they could think of because they don't want to broaden their minds to figure out if no natural explanation works, then maybe we should, after all natural explanations are exhausted and don't work, that we should broaden out and think maybe consider, wonder if there's something extra natural or supernatural going on here, but people don't want to do that. I mean, if naturalistic evolution is true, you have no morals. Morality means nothing. Because who says? It was all an accident. We're only here, it's an accident. We shouldn't be here. By the way, our life, if you believe that, our life is also meaningless. Nothing we do matters. It was just an accident. We shouldn't even be here. And there can't be any absolute right or wrong. And then why would people believe that? So they could live without judgment and they could be accountable to no one for their actions. But that's a sad life. So how do we know absolute universal objective truth is real? And so there is evidence for that. And I know all you are like, yeah, we get it. We're with you, Kevin. We believe. Well, when you're talking to people, here's some things that you should point out. And we could examine the logical necessity of truth all day long. But here's just a couple things that I want to mention. First of all, the human conscience. The, even our own conscience, Christian or non-Christian, the human conscience. That something inside of us that tells us the world should be a certain way and that some things are right and wrong. Our conscience, our conscience convinces us that there's something wrong with murder, starvation, rape, pain, evil. You know, we all get that. All people get that. All people in all cultures get that. Why? Because they have a conscience. And by the same token, that human conscience also bears witness to us that Things like love, generosity, compassion, those are good things. Well, how do we know that? It's just inside of us. And this is universally true among all people in all cultures. I'm not saying you can't have a sociopath or something. I'm saying this is not a cultural issue. And the Bible describes it for us, this very thing I'm talking about in Romans chapter 2. 14. Paul writes this, and, and again, he's, he's writing Romans. This is a church in Rome. Romans, largely Gentile, meaning non-Jewish, but there are some Jewish people there. The Jewish people have kind of known about God for generations, but a lot of this stuff is new to the Romans, this whole idea of one God, not a whole bunch of gods. And so he's writing to them, here, and here's what Paul's saying. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, those, I'm sorry, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. Okay, little next verse. In that way, I'm sorry, in that, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. It continues. 
their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. What's he saying there? He's saying even people who never had a Bible, who never knew anything about God's rights and wrongs, even those people know some things are right and some things are wrong. When they do things, not everything, but when they do certain things, they know inside themselves that's not right. And when they do other things, they know, oh, that, that, that seems right. You see, people argue that truth is a social construct and there's no universal truth, but that's wrong because our own conscience bears witness to us. And it's true in all cultures. Any culture in the world, if I travel there, randomly select a family, break into their house at night, and murder one of their children, everybody's going to say that's wrong. It's not going to be okay in Afghanistan and wrong in America or okay in the Congo, but wrong in Canada. You know, that's not the way it is. That's a universal truth. Now, that doesn't work for everything, but we're just establishing that our conscience bears witness, the human conscience, that there's an objective right or wrong. We know that internally. Even though truth is outside of us, we know from what's inside of us, that's right. Science demands absolute truth. Science demands absolute truth. A lot of times it's the same people saying that all truth is relative, that there is no absolute truth, that they're also the same people saying, follow the science. Okay, well, if there's no absolute truth, there's no science, right? We all get that, right? What is science? Science is the pursuit of knowledge and a system for acquiring it. That's science. All scientific study must be founded on the belief that there are objective realities that can be discovered and proven. Laws of science are all founded on the existence of absolute truth. Gravity's real. It's not a social construct. It's the truth. All scientific laws based on truth. Really, if you think about it, even religion is an evidence for truth. I mean, just world religions, messed up religions. All religions in the world, they're attempting to give meaning to life. Well, why? Why is that going on? Well, religion is evidence that mankind is more than just a highly evolved animal. We're different. We're, we're self-aware. We can look around at the evidence that all points to a creator and go, whoa, something's up. This didn't just happen. I, I just didn't happen here. Something's going on. And so people turn to religion, some explanation for that. Some, there's got to be a higher purpose. And they're right, there is a higher purpose, although they're not all right on what that is. Universal truth is real, and it makes no sense to reject it because there are problems with rejecting truth, universal truth, absolute truth. Rejecting absolute truth erases objective moral values, and that's actually what's going on. 
Rejecting absolute truth, I'll say it again, erases moral values. And that's the whole point. Their argument is that it goes like this, you know, they'll say, since people and cultures disagree about morality, there are no objective moral values. Since other cultures, you know, I use the, the example of murder, you know, but other cultures, because they don't agree on every moral thing there is, because they can't agree on that, there are zero moral values. There's no consistent objective. Well, no, that, that's wrong. What? That doesn't make any sense. That's, you know, we're back to, okay, so if you lived in Germany in the 30s and 40s, and they were started killing Jewish people, then that's okay. That's moral relativism, by the way. Well, that's okay. Why? Well, because that's what they did in their culture. I mean, they, their culture thought that was right. So how can we call it wrong? We can call it wrong because it's wrong. Because that's the truth. Moral relativism. We naturally understand that there are, are universal moral values. And people might disagree on how, you know, the, the specifics. But people who disagree with and are moral relativists don't want to be accountable for their actions. Because they know if there is absolute truth, then there are absolute standards of right and wrong. And if there are absolute standards of right and wrong, then they're accountable to those. And they don't want to be accountable. So rejecting truth erases ob objective moral values. That's one of the problems. Without truth, we erase common moral values. Also, rejecting truth creates a false sense of tolerance. And that's the buzzword we've been hearing for 10 years, right? Or 20, whatever. Tolerance has become the one cardinal virtue of a post-truth society. Tolerance, tolerance. For those rejecting truth, tolerance is the one absolute. Belief in absolute truth is viewed as intolerance, which is the ultimate sin for the relativists. It's weird because people who deny absolute truth say, you know, it's all right to believe whatever you want as long as you don't try to impose your beliefs on anybody else. Hey, more relativists, believe whatever you want. Just do not ever impose those beliefs on other people. But, the, but tolerance, a belief about right and wrong, it's tolerant or intolerant. Intolerance is wrong, tolerance is right. And those who hold this view definitely do try to impose their beliefs on everybody else. They're doing just what they're telling you you can't. They're saying, you don't influence anybody with your beliefs, but we are free to influence everybody with our beliefs. That's tolerance. They violate what they claim to uphold, a self-contradicting position, and they're no more virtuous than anybody else. They're pushing their beliefs same way. Rejecting absolute, universal, or objective truth is at the base of it, just illogical. It does not make any sense. It cannot stand up under its own weight. 
the statement, and you hear this all the time, the statement, truth is relative. Truth is relative. That's a self-contradicting statement. Okay, if truth is relative, then what you're saying is not nothing. It's nothing. It's all relative that you're saying truth is relative. It's self-contradicting, but it's like people don't see it. To say truth is relative is to make a truth statement, but if truth really is relevant, then we can't trust the statement to be true or be true all the time. Again, what we say a lot here is a good question to ask when people say there is no absolute truth, as we should always ask, are you absolutely sure? Because they are self-contradicting. Now, we all get, I mean, we're grown-ups. We get that truth statements are different than opinions. We understand we can make a true statement, we're saying this is true, but we can give an opinion and we're saying, hey, that's just an opinion. We're not expecting, we're not saying that's a universal truth, right? I could say, wow, 67 Ford Mustang, the coolest car ever. And we all get, well, that's not a, a truth statement, that's an opinion. We get that because we talk to each other, we understand that. But if I said, hey, that 67 Mustang parked right over there in the parking lot at Grace, that belongs to me. Now, all of a sudden, that's a true statement, right? That we should be able to back up with papers that prove that to be true or not. So, don't get waylaid by somebody using those kind of arguments. Opinions are relative. We, we get that. Truth is not. And here's the problem, though. So a lot of people say, well, when you're talking about God or religion, that all goes into the opinion category, not the true or non-true category, but the opinion, that's just your view, and that has nothing to do with the rest of us. And they say things like, you prefer Jesus. Well, that works for you, but other people prefer other religions. That's not true. Religion has true statements just like anything else, not just opinions. But Christians, it's, it's a little more than that. We, say, we don't just say, this is true. We say, this is true. Let's look at the evidence for its truth. We say, let's look at the evidence because truth is not relative it's objective. That's why cultures that are based on, at some point in time, Christian beliefs, they always allow for open debate. I mean, typically, if, so, if they were founded with Christian principles or Judeo-Christian principles, then they're open to debate. You debate the truth. But cultures that are founded on non-Christian religions or atheists, no religion is what they say, but that's a religion of humanity, just like everything else. They always censor debate. That's interesting. Why? Because Christianity is different than other religions. We say, look at the evidence. We don't say, oh, you say that, now a mob's going to go burn you. We say, look at the evidence. Let's have a reasoned conversation. And so the biggest problem with rejecting truth, you know, those are all issues. But here's the biggest issue, and it's personal. 
It's a personal issue for every single one of us, and that is you will be judged. I will be judged for rejecting God's truth. That's the biggest issue right there. Because there is objective spiritual reality. It it exists. And Jesus came to teach us about that. And, And people, a lot of times, who reject truth, a lot of times they feel okay about Jesus, for some people. But Jesus made some strong claims, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. That's, he's saying, there, there's no multiple religions that work. There are no multiple religions that are true, which is logically contradictory anyway, because all religions are mutually exclusive. But Jesus is just pointing out that there's only one way. Jesus is the only way of salvation, and this is absolutely universally true for all people at all times. And it's what God's warning us about. I I read out of Romans chapter 1, I think maybe the last two Sundays, little bits and pieces, but just smallest piece, just one verse, says this. Starts out for the wrath of God. I just want to stop there, the wrath of God, because we you know the wrath of God, that sounds a little different to people. What we're saying is, when do you get angry? Most of the time, we get angry when somebody does something to us. Oh, you offended me, you hurt my feelings, you stole from me, you did whatever, I'm angry. And God says all that anger is kind of suspect, because it's all kind of based on maybe selfishness or, or whatever. It's, it's all me. But if we ever have anger because, say, a child was sexually molested by somebody, that should anger you. And if you know that child, that should anger you. That's not the same thing. That anger is righteous indignation. That anger is not selfish. It's not focused on yourself. It's what's right and what's wrong and what's happened to this person in real time. That's the wrath that God has. The wrath over what is absolutely wrong. So here's what it says, one verse, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, we deny truth and the wrath of God is on us. That's, that's the biggest problem with us rejecting truth. No matter how much you deny truth and God, you'll someday stand before him in judgment. If you're not a believer, in judgment for your sins, for your wrongs. One more thing. Don't talk to your friend about Christianity and leave your friend with the impression that, that we are trying to convince them to be a, a Christian so that they'll have a better life, it's a better way to live, it's a better lifestyle. By the way, all that is true, but that's not the reason. The reason we want people to become Christians is because it is true. It's true. That's why 
we reach out to people. That's why we want to warn people. That's why we want to point people to God. Because God's telling us He created us, and He gave evidence of the fact that He created us all around us, all of us, that we all would want to seek Him out, even if we didn't know who He was. There's a creator, a designer. And then He revealed Himself to the whole world through His book, the Bible, number one best-selling book in the whole world, and through Jesus Christ, the most known person in the entire world. And Jesus in Scripture has a message for us. And it's the truth. The truth is, we've all violated God's standards of right and wrong. We've all done that. We've all sinned against other people, yes, but against, most of all, our Creator, a righteous God. A righteous God who is also just, and because He's just, by His very nature and character, just like we would want Him to be, must punish wrong. Wrong has to be punished. That's the right thing. That's the truth. And the punishment is more that we want to think about because we always minimize our sin. We always compare ourselves to others and and figure out a way to feel pretty good about ourselves. But God's saying our sin against our Creator is tragic. It's a way bigger deal than we think. And when we push God away for our entire life and we don't give a minute to consider God because we're too busy, just like Pilate, well, I'm just going to do something here that I know in my own heart is wrong, so I don't want to hear about truth. We do the same thing. But the truth is God loves you anyway, and He allowed His only begotten Son, Jesus, to come walk this planet and ultimately to give up his life, the only person who didn't sin, to give up his life to pay for our sins, my sins and your sins. But the only way we receive that gift from God is God's way. Just like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We have to put our faith in Christ and Christ alone that He is who He said He was, Son of God, and that He died on the cross to pay for our, our sins. That He did, He was who He said He was, and He did what He said He was going to do. And when we do that, Scripture says that we can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, that, that's what I'm I want you to consider today is follow Jesus. Pursue truth and pursue Jesus. But I also want to talk talk to Christians before I close here. Don't bail on truth. I'm, I'm amazed at how people believe Scripture until some point in their life when, when they're grown, you know, or whatever the circumstances, their life changes and they just start, they compromise God's truth. Where their grown child adopts a sinful lifestyle and rather than rejecting that, rather than saying, hey, I love you, but that's wrong, they reject God. They, they sell out God. They sell out Christ. 
and, and they think they're doing that to preserve some relationship, but they're not helping that relationship. They're not really loving in that relationship because they're not telling truth. They bailed on truth. Don't do that. Commit today that you will never bail on truth, that you never sell out God's truth for convenience, for relationship, for whatever, for lifestyle. Don't sell out. Commit to stand on truth. Let's pray together. Let's stand. Father, God in heaven, Lord, for those who might not be believers here, Father, we pray our friends, our neighbors, people from our community, God, we would ask that your spirit would touch their hearts and draw them and help them to want to find out more truth that will lead to you. God, help them to pursue truth and not turn away. And Father, for those of us who are believers, Lord, that we would stand on your truth and be bold. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.